Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited that you are here this morning. Well, today I have a question for you. Here it is. It's a really important question, all right? Should you go grocery shopping when you're hungry? No. Okay. Well, the thing is, when you do this, I know, I know this is true for me. When I go grocery shopping and I just happen to be hungry, everything looks good. Everything looks delicious. And whether or not it actually is good for me or not, I really want it. And everything tends to look like this. Maybe not just like that. I did steal those pictures from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. But, I mean, unless you stay on the perimeter of the grocery store, you will eventually find yourself into all sorts of different aisles, right? You find yourself looking at chips and cookies and cake and pastries. And, and I know, even if I am sent to the grocery store, which is not often, there's probably a good reason for that, that if I'm hungry, even if I'm going for one or two items, somehow a Snickers bar would just like fall into my cart I don't even understand how, and then you end up buying something that you know isn't really good for you. And I'm not trying to to food shame anyone, but if I go to the grocery store and I go shopping and I'm hungry, I may end up buying something that looks like this. (laughs) Ta-da! Right? And and we all have have felt that that tension. We've all felt that, that temptation to, to give in to something or buy something or eat something, we know ah, it's probably not the best for us, right? The, the big thing is don't shop when you're hungry, right? That's a no-brainer. You guys all know that. And the, real, the reality is that food has a way of grabbing our attention, has a way of working in our imaginations, and we desire food. And sometimes it's not just the food or it's not even the place but it's all over the world. Let me give you an example. McDonald's spends nearly $1 billion every single year on advertising. $1 billion. Domino's spends half a billion dollars on advertising. Taco Bell spends $400 million on advertising. Why is that? They do it because they know if they can get your attention, they can get you. If they can grab your attention, they can get you. They they can take control over how you spend your money, where you spend your money, how you use your time, where you spend that time. And for you, maybe it's not necessarily food or restaurants that's grabbing your attention, but there's something somewhere else in this world that is grabbing a hold of your attention. It is grabbing those desires. It is grabbing those appetites. And last week, we finished up the book of James. And last week, we talked about our desires. And one of the things I talked about when it comes to our desires is that our desires are far more dangerous than we think. In fact, we tend to give in to those desires over and over and over again, we form these habits, and then those desires, whether it's for food or pleasure, our own satisfaction, or just to do what I want to do, those things become our master. They begin to control and rule and dominate 
our life and we live for those things, giving into them over and over and over again. And so as long as we continue to live for pleasure, as long as we continue to live for the things that we want to do, we will be mastered by those things. So let me ask you, are you ruling over your desires or are your desires ruling over you? And here's another question. How do you overcome those desires? How do you overcome? How do you fight against those desires that seem to rule over each of us? Is there, is there actually a practice in the Bible that we could look at? Is there actually a practice from the way of Jesus that would help us fight against those desires so they're no longer ruling us, so they're no longer being our master? I would argue that there's actually a lot of practices in the Bible. And at the very top of that list would be this idea of fasting. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what is fasting. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 3. Sorry for showing you all of those delicious pictures of food. And then now we're going to talk about fasting. So Genesis chapter 3, even if you're new to the Bible, go to the very beginning, the front of your Bible. You'll find it there. If you don't have a Bible, whoops, uh, we'll put the text on the screen behind me. Genesis chapter 3, here's what it says. And now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the trees that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who also was with her, and he ate it. And so there we see the very first sin when it comes to mankind. That the serpent, we'll find later in the book of Revelation that the serpent is actually Satan finds his way into the garden, goes to them, and notice the means of the first temptation. What was the means of that very first temptation? It was food. It was food, and she sees it. It's, it's pleasing to her eyes. It looks good. It's desirable. It looks tasty. It's tugging on those desires, so she looks at it and she eats and then she gives it to her husband and he sees it, it's pleasing, it's desirable, and he eats. And Satan is there and he's taking God's word and he's twisting it around and he's lying to them saying, okay, did God really say this? Did God really say that you will die? And now let me get this straight. The first temptation really wasn't about food. I mean, food was there, but it was so much bigger than that. Satan is really trying to redefine good and evil, and he's twisting God's word, and he's trying to get them to trust 
in their own instincts and in their own desires over God. So that's the really beginning of it. That's the first temptation that we see. And it just happens that Satan is using food. Now with all of that in mind, go to Matthew chapter 4. In the New Testament, Jesus is starting this brand new ministry, right? He's about 30 years old. He's going to start his public ministry, and he goes away, and he spends 40 days in silence, in solitude, and he's praying. And notice what happens here in Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does that sound familiar? We just read a story about that. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Another temptation that has to do with what? Food. That sound familiar? It should. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice Jesus is led into the wilderness, into the desert to be alone. And the purpose, he is being there to be tempted by Satan. But he's also there, he's preparing for one of the biggest things ever. He is going to change the course of history. And so he finds himself in solitude, silence, and he's praying and he's fasting. And he's fasting for 40 days. And now, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, Satan coming into the garden, tempting Adam and Eve using food. Satan finds himself there in front of Jesus, confronting him, tempting him. And notice the means. It's food. He's using food. And it's not that Jesus was gluten-free, that he shouldn't eat bread, or that this was something wrong. But he's using food as the means of temptation. It's this idea of, okay, are you going to trust God or are you going to give in to the desires of the flesh? It's really replaying Genesis 3. Because where we see Adam and Eve failing, Jesus succeeded. Where you and I failed, Jesus succeeded. And it's kind of echoing this story back in the Old Testament where Israel was in the wilderness where they were wandering in the wilderness and, and they were wanting food and God said, I'm going to provide food for you. I'm going to rain down bread. It's going to be there, right there. Just take what you need. And they called it manna. And God said, every day I'm going to supply what you need today. Don't take any more. Just take what you need. And so Satan comes to Jesus and he says, okay, turn those rocks into manna. Do something. But notice how Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus said, it's written, the man shall not live on bread alone. Man should not live on just manna alone. But I'm going to trust God. But on the word that comes from the mouth of God. That was the temptation right there. Are you going to trust the Father? 
Or are you going to trust your own desires? Are you going to give in to your own fleshly desires? So how do we fight against the desires that want to rule over us? How do we fight against those desires that want to master us, that want to consume our lives? I would argue that one of the practices we see is fasting. And this word fasting in the Old Testament and the New Testament is this idea of abstaining from food so you can devote yourself to God. That's what Jesus was doing. He was setting aside all food, all nourishment, all nutrition for 40 days so that he could devote himself to the will of the Father This was a regular part of his life. This was a regular part of the disciples' life. This was a regular part of Christians in the very first century. He was hungering for what the Father was going to do. He was hungering to be close to him. John Piper says that fasting comes in alongside prayer with all its hunger for God. He says fasting is a whole body hungering for God. Maybe you're here today and you're not really hungering for God at all. And I'll be honest, there's been times in my life where I've not always desired the things that God has wanted. I've not always hungered for those things. I think one of the ways we can hunger for God even more is by fasting. It's this practice of setting aside, abstaining from food and going, okay, for this moment, I'm going to find myself fasting and praying, and connecting to God, tuning my heart to his heart. Fasting is is not giving up food for like a doctor's appointment or blood work, right? I know sometimes your doctor will ask you to do those things, and you should. There's a reason for that, but that's not what Jesus is doing. Fasting is not like the Daniel diet where he's giving up certain food so that he can not get sucked into Babylonian culture. Fasting is not this intermittent fasting, right? It's not this new trendy diet. I don't think Jesus was like, hey, I'm a pretty big deal. I'm about to be in in front of like thousands of people. So I kind of need like to trim down, get a six pack and like get ready for this whole ministry of changing the world thing. Jesus wasn't doing that at all. Jesus was getting ready to go toe to toe with Satan. Jesus was preparing for combat. And he does it with silence, solitude, prayer, and fasting. How did he succeed where Adam and Eve didn't? I think it was by fasting. He was connecting with his heavenly father. In fact, in the first century, we see Jews fasting twice a week. They fasted twice a week, every Monday and Thursday, And then in the first century, Christians began to continue to fast, and they began to change that from Monday and Thursday to Wednesday and Friday. They continued that all the way through. In fact, Jesus actually assumes that his disciples will fast. In Matthew chapter 6, he's given instructions on how to fast. And he tells those who are listening, he says, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, Assuming that if we are followers of Jesus, if we're disciples, if we want to be apprentices of Jesus, that we will actually include this practice of fasting. 
Because being a follower of Jesus is about following him. Being a follower of Jesus is about living like him. So if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me say that again. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And he's not commanding it. He's not saying you must do this, but it's a practice in his life. It's something that we see in his life and in the life of the disciples. And so fasting has been a part for thousands of years. In fact, so many Christians would do this as they would prepare for Lent. Right? Maybe you're familiar with Lent, but in the very beginning, Lent started off as a 40-day fast where Christians around the world would give up three meals or, or two meals, and then after the sun went down, they would have a small meal. And they would do that for 40 days, preparing their hearts for Easter, preparing to celebrate the incredible resurrection, that they were tuning their hearts to God. And so here's the first principle I want you to grab, that fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God. And so imagine that I wanted to plug in this lamp over here, and I decided I was going to take out my pocket knife and I would just start punch. Is it okay, Christian, if I punch some holes in this stage? Sorry. And then after I used my pocket knife to put some holes in this stage, and I'll close this up so I don't cut myself. And I go, and I want to turn this on. It kind of seems ridiculous, Right? That that's not going to turn on. There's no way that if I plug this into the stage, a man-made hole, that this thing is going to work. But all throughout our life, we try to plug into social media, into the internet, to our computers, to our phones, to our friends. We plug into sports and school. We plug into all of these different things, all of these man-made things. And then we go, hey, I wonder why I'm not really connecting to God. I wonder why I keep giving in to these same temptations over and over again. I wonder why I really don't have a real hunger for him. I mean, I'm plugging in. I mean, I go to church sometimes and I read my Bible sometimes, but I'm really just spending the majority of my time plugging into all of these other things. But what would happen if we actually plugged into the original source? We plugged into God. And then we connected with him. And in the the Bible, we see Jesus not just spending time in silence, not just spending time in solitude, not just praying, but we see him regularly fasting. And we see the disciples fasting, tuning their hearts to their heavenly father. And I wonder, even though it's not commanded, I wonder if on a regular basis, we began to practice this idea of fasting so that we could tune our hearts to God's heart, so that we could greater connect with him. Because if you're like me, you find yourself giving in to the same desires, the same appetites over and over and over again. They begin to consume us. They begin to control us. They begin to rule us. 
And fasting is one of the ways that we can fight against that. Fasting is one of the ways that we can starve the flesh. Not your physical flesh, but like those desires inside of us. And we can feed the spirit of God. It's just one of the ways that we can connect with him. And in the Bible, we see people in the Old Testament, they're fasting when, when things don't go well and they're mourning and they're grieving and they're, they're broken over the things that are happening. We see them fasting and it's reminding them that God is their greatest need. We also see people in the Bible when they, they're, they're just broken over their sin. They're just totally destroyed by it. And they begin to fast and pray. And it reminds them that God is their greatest need. We also see people, not just Jesus, but even in the book of Acts, when they're about to start something really big, that they start that task by prayer and fasting. We see people in the Bible crying out to God, begging God to move, begging God to do something. And they fast and they pray and it reminds them that God is their greatest need need. And I wonder what would happen if we began to implement that same practice into our lives. And I'll be honest, I haven't fasted as a regular practice. I have before, and typically what I've done is I've just chosen either a day or some meals that I'm going to fast. And it might be on Monday that I'm going to fast through breakfast and lunch. And during those times, I'm just going to journal. I'm going to read my Bible. When I would typically eat a meal, I'm just going to set those times aside for God. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to have some certain things that I'm praying about. God, would you change this in my life? God, would you work out this? God, here's some things I'm concerned about. God, would you do this in the life of our ministry? And as I go about my day and I begin to feel hungry, and you will, I I let that hunger kind of serve as like a little bit of a reminder. Hey, you should pray. You should, you should connect to God right now. And I've allowed that to serve as a, as a place or space just to reconnect and tune my heart to God. And so I want to I show you a passage where, where Jesus is actually praying, and it, it's a really intense prayer because I really believe that prayer and fasting should go together. You can pray without fasting, and you can fast without prayer, but I really do think that they ought to go together. And when they go together, God can do some incredible things. Look at this passage. It's Matthew chapter 26, right? Jesus came. He starts his ministry with prayer and fasting. He knows he's going to change the course of history. He's coming to redeem his people out of bondage, out of sin, out of slavery, He knows he's going to die on the cross and then hours before he goes to the cross, he gathers a few disciples. They go into the garden of Gethsemane and they begin to pray. Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He's going to his heavenly father and he's praying, okay, if there's any other way to accomplish this task, if there's any other way to redeem mankind, could we do that? But if not, Jesus says, let your will be done. Jesus is not trying to strong arm the Father. Fasting is not a way to try to like be a hunger strike. It's not like a hashtag campaign. It's, it's not any of those things. It's not a way to try to manipulate God at all. Jesus is simply submitting his desires to the Father. If there's any other way, could we do it? But if not, let your will be done. In the Gospel of Luke, it gives the same exact story, but it's a different perspective. In that account, Luke says that Jesus was praying and he was so intense that he began to literally sweat blood, which is crazy, right? It's actually a medical condition. It's called hematodrosis, and it happens under extreme physical stress, that Jesus is experiencing that to the degree that he's literally sweating blood. He's hungering for the Father. He's hungering to do the will of the Father. And he enters into this place of intense prayer. God, if there's anything, I just want to do your will. I just want to, to connect with you. I want to see you change the course of history. And he's laying down his desires. We can seek God in this incredible boldness. That, that prayer and fasting, they can come together. So here's the second principle. That prayer fills the void that fasting creates. It's this invitation to lay down our desires before God. That as you're fasting, you, you might recognize, okay, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to fill it with prayer. I'm starting to feel hungry. What am I going to do? I'm going to fill it with prayer. I'm going to pray for God to change my life. I'm going to pray for certain things going on in my life. I'm going to pray over these things. And let's just see what God might do. What if he uses that to draw a stronger connection to us and him? What if he uses that to begin to change the life of this ministry. Fasting is one of the greatest ways to express our hunger for God. It helps us tune our hearts to his. John Calvin once said that whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it should be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. That anytime there's something big going on, if we really want 
to connect with God, we ought to include prayer and fasting. We ought to put those two together. And I really want to invite our church to pray and fast as we get ready for Easter. That over the next three weeks, starting March 20th, going through April 10th, I want to challenge us to pray and fast. And I know that, that, that could sound really, really scary, right? If you're a first-time guest, sorry, we're really not cultish. This is not just like this weird thing. You get a pass, all right? But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us. And I just want to be up front and really clear. This is not a command of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say you must fast and pray. But it seems like it's one of the practices of Jesus. And it seems like Jesus used this practice to get ready for one of the major ministries that he was going to do. It seems like he was ready, more prepared to fight off Satan after he was fasting and praying. And so here's some ways that you might do that. Here's some ideas. Obviously, we have, we have food, right? Maybe it's certain times. Maybe you fast. Hey, I'm just going to do one day a week. Whether that's a 24-hour day or a 12-hour day, that's up to you. Maybe you're just going to do certain types of foods, sweets, drinks, alcohol, etc. Maybe you're just going to do a certain meal. Maybe you're just going to fast through breakfast. The parameters are completely up to you. You might say, hey, every day this week, I'm just going to fast through breakfast. Or maybe you're just going to do, hey, one day a week, I'm going to do this meal and that meal, whatever. Like That's completely open to you. Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to cut out all of social media. I'm going to get rid of, I'm not going to watch TV or sports or the news, or I'm not going to use my cell phone as much, right? And I'm just going to use that time that when I feel that tug to go on social media, or I feel that tug to watch sports, or I feel that tug to plug into entertainment, I'm going to use that time to pray and connect with God. Or maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an area of money. Right? Maybe you, you work a lot of overtime, and instead of working overtime, you're going to give that time to God, and you're going to pray, and you're going to fast, and you're going to use that. Or instead of spending money on all these little extra things, you're going to say, okay, we're going to focus on these next three weeks on just paying and using our money for the necessities. Those are all different options. And let me give you a couple tips. One, Start small. Don't bite off more than you can chew. But think about it as, okay, here's what I think I can start with. It might just be one meal a day. Start small. Secondly, think subtraction, not addition. In the busyness and the chaos of your lives and your schedules, don't think about adding prayer and adding fasting. Think about removing something from your life and then putting in prayer and fasting. So if you're fasting for that one meal or those two meals, you're taking away that meal and you're putting something in its place. Third, you're going to get out of this what you put into it. So if you put 10% effort into it, that's what you'll get out of it. But imagine if you put 100% of your effort into it, that doesn't mean that you need to fast for 40 days of all your food, okay? 
That just means that you're all in to the parameters that you've come up with. But I think that if we go all in with this practice, that God could radically change your life and my life. But I also want to let you know that we, um, we created a fasting guide for you. It's at the welcome desk or the black table on the back on your way out. This just kind of gives you like the nuts and bolts of like some of the things that we talked about today. It serves as a reminder. You can put it on your fridge or you can fold it up and put it in your Bible. Or you just put it somewhere where you, where you will see it. It's just a reminder. We want you to grab this on your way out and take it. But look. If you're here and you're not ready to fast yet, or you're a guest, I get it. There is no pressure, all right? Maybe you're not ready to fast yet due to issues of body image or eating disorders or legalism or you're in need of healing. There's something else going on in your life. There is no pressure to fast. This is not a command from the Bible but what we would ask is that you don't put pressure on the person to the right or the left of you who is ready, who is desiring to do this. Don't rain on their parade. We want you to take your next step from where you are right now. Wherever you are, we're just inviting you to take your next step. Fasting really is about freedom. It's about fighting off those desires. It's about connecting with God. It's about tuning your heart to God's heart. It's not about more rules. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about fighting off those desires. And so you are simply invited to follow Jesus and take those next steps. Let me pray with you. Father, it's incredible that you give us these instructions. You give us this example of what fasting is and what it what it could look like in our lives. And we just pray that if people are considering fasting, that if they're considering taking some meals and setting them off to the side and just connecting with you, that you would use this in a really powerful way. God, I also want to be sensitive to people in our church, in our community who may have some eating disorders or maybe struggling with other areas of food, and this is not going to be helpful. That you would come alongside them, you would give them the help that they need, and you would help them to connect and take their next step in a different way. But I pray that wherever our people are, they would take their next step towards you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we finish service this morning and worship?